What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 193 of the Lynch Leader Podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this spiritual leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Well, 2023 has been a banner year for the podcast. We have met so many incredible people from literally all walks of life, and we find out it is not uncommon to find people that are trying to be just like you and just like me and live out their faith every day. And what I don't ever want to happen is for you to miss an episode. Every now and then you'll see a name that you recognize and you click on it and you listen and you're like, oh, that was great. But then there's a name you may not know, but their episode may be just as rich, if not more, than the name that you knew. So make sure you subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're at, whatever platform you listen on, go ahead and hit the subscription. It is the easiest way to follow along. And while you're there, if you can leave a wet rating and review, it helps a ton with other people finding their way to us. Well, we all know leadership is about what most people see out in front. But the reality is we all go home in the evenings. We all leave work. We leave our place of employment. We go home. The question is, are we leading well there? Today, we get to sit down with a special couple, John and Anna Mann. John has co-authored over 30 books, some New York Times bestsellers, amazing amazing man. He and Bob Berg splashed on the scene with their book called The Go-Giver. It's a phenomenal book. And he and Anna have followed it up with The Go-Giver Marriage, where they peel back the, the, the layers of life and talk about the five secrets that we all need to know to have a great marriage. It is a phenomenal conversation. And it's one that you are going to be better for having had with us. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to do me a favor. And I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with John and Anna Mann. Well, John and Anna, it is such an honor to welcome you to the podcast today. It is so great to have you guys. Absolutely. Same here. Thank you so much for having us. So fun. So tell me how your lives connected. We're going to be talking a lot about marriage today. Walk us back and tell us how the two of you found each other and how this whole story of the man family began. <laughs> Who's first, sweetheart? I think it's you, huh? I'll lead. Yeah. <laughs> um, we actually met at a business event that had over 8,000 people there. So it was very unlikely that we would meet. And um, But there was a very small group of Christians in this business event 
that had scheduled a little church gathering together. So we met at church, and in this gathering, there was a circle, and we ended up sitting next to each other in the circle. Um, so we ended up getting to know each other briefly in that moment. And then um, later in that same week at this conference, we went out for what we call the tall bottle of water, because we, <laughs> we neither one of us are really drinkers, so we, we shared a bottle of, of, of water. And uh, and had a long conversation about faith and how it how it intersects with business mm. and with leadership, which was very much John's um, theme at that time in his life. He was doing a lot of speaking on leadership. The part, the, the piece that, that Anna has left out of the story is that when we we first sat down in the circle and. and uh, in that particular business context, like I, w- I was a speaker and I was kind of a, a known figure, and uh, so so. I was easily identifiable, and Anna had read a, a bunch of my articles in, in magazines, my editorials. I had a, a monthly column, and we sat down. And she said, "Oh, I I love your uh, I love your articles," and I thought, "Yeah, that's what they all say." And she said, <laughs> and then she started she started citing specific titles and quoting from the articles, and I went, "Oh, now she shows uncommon intelligence. I have to pay <laughs> attention to this woman." <laughs> So she found the way to my heart, you know, right there at the get-go. Really, really, <laughs> stroke the ego. That's it. She worked. She got in quick. She she's still in. my, she's still my biggest fan of the stuff that I write. I wasn't writing books then. That's what I do now, and so she's still my my number one fan. I love that. So <laughs> as you guys look back at your marriage now, what role has faith played in your journey? And is it is it something you just go do on Sundays and then slip out? Anna, what would you say? How how have you seen faith become a real foundation for the two of you? We are both people who choose to see whatever's happening as a path that we're supposed to be on. So we've had tragedy in our lives and we've had great blessings in our lives. But in all circumstances, we are quick to gather together and pray about whatever's going on. And we're also really quick to give the glory where it deserves to be, if you will. I I especially feel like John is really somebody who always steps out of the way and and doesn't take the glory Mm. in any situation. He's always handing it off as a blessing and something that that we know easily could have gone a different direction. Hmm. I would add to that in our relationship, I think one of the things that one of the secrets, I guess you could say, to to our our flourishing together as a couple over the years, because as Anna said, we've been through difficult times. We've been through some of the stresses that can typically break the back of a, of a relationship, of a marriage. One of the things I think it's held us together and helped us thrive through difficulty is that we both have, really I said the habit, not just the practice, but it's become a habit of looking for the best in the other one, mm. of seeing the best in the other one. And, and, you know, it's almost like if I could see you the way God sees you, what would I see? Well, God has this enormous boundless capacity to see the extraordinary in every individual even people that we would think are despicable or worthless you know whatever our judgments would be those aren't his judgments and so 
I try to look through those eyes when I look at Anna, and it actually doesn't take much effort because she's so wonderful. But I think we do that with we instinctively, automatically, and now habitually. We look for the best in each other, and I think that's probably the foundational level of what's made our relationship so so fruitful and satisfying. That is so good. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, ultimately that's how Scripture sees us. God knows us at our worst and loves us there. And, and it lays such a ground fate, ground uh, ground level for marriage and something to build on. When did you guys discover, you know, long before the Go-Giver Marriage book, I know there was the Go-Giver series that was already going of incredible books. When did you guys discover we've got a passion to help marriages together? Because, Anna, I know you do this for a living. When did y'all go, I think we need to team up and share with other people what what we've learned in our journey. I love that question. I think it's your sweetheart. What are you using? No, it's yours. Oh, it's you're mine. The, okay. You're the well, one that always tells exactly what happened to Okay. Well, so of course, as, as you mentioned, first of all, this has been Anna's uh, calling, her passion since she was, you know, before she was in grad school. Mm. Um, she stepped out of grad school and into a practice of of counseling marriages and, and working with married couples. And and in one guise, one form or another, she's been doing that her whole life ever since. The original Go Giver book, simply called The Go Giver. Uh, uh, it looks a lot like this book, only yep. it's got a red cover. And that was a book that was really aimed at the business world and business communities, particularly small businesses, entrepreneurs, and so forth. But it's really a book of life principles. Mm. We just target it for the business niche, you know. Um, that book came out in 2008. It published with a, I wrote with a friend of mine, Bob Berg. And Bob and I put that out in 2008. It became enormously popular. And it spawned a series of sequels. There's the Go-Giver Leader. There's the Go-Giver Influencer, which is not about how to be on Instagram. It's about how to have genuine influence in the world. There's a Go-Giver book about sales. But when the the first Go-Giver book, before it came out, when the manuscript of the first rough draft peeled off my desktop printer and landed with a swish on my desktop, Anna picked it up and read it. She was the first person on the planet to, to read the manuscript, she read it and she said, this is great. This describes how we are together. Mm. This would be a great book on marriage. How so she that? had the dream for it right then and there. It, you know, fast forward over a decade, um, we had other books to publish in the Goalkeeper series. It took a while, but when, when, the, when the pandemic gripped the nation, the world, and we began to see how many people were so profoundly suffering because we had a lot of couples who had said to each other, you know, in sickness and in health and for richer and for poor, but they'd never said mm. for 24 hours a day That's <laughs> in, right. the, same, That's in right. the same room. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, people were like locked in, in houses together and, and the stress and tension and difficulty was, was profound and people were suffering. And Anna turned to me and said, you know, we got to do this book. We, if we're ever going to do this book, we got to do it now. So that's when we began. We wrote it like that during the first year of the pandemic. You know, what's so good about that is, and we talked about this a little bit before going on air, you know, we can't separate leadership and life. We can't, we can't go, well, you know, this is, this whole podcast is about spiritual leadership. We can't separate you as a leader from you as a husband or you as a leader and you as a spouse, a wife. You, you can't separate those things. Why does marriage, Anna, you do this for a living. You're with couples all day, every day. 
why does marriage play in so much to how we lead out during the workday if things aren't going great with our spouse? How does it affect us nine to five, even though nobody works nine to five, but how does it affect us during that business day? Oh, it's a huge question and a and a really important question because you never leave your marriage behind when you go to work. You never leave your sick child behind when you go to work. Whatever is going on behind the scenes in your family, you are carrying it and you are carrying it right here in the front of everything you're doing. And it can color your attitudes. It can make you be short with a fellow employee. It can make you feel impatient in the middle of a meeting. It can make you feel all those edgy feelings that you might be feeling in your marriage at home. Because whatever conflict is going on there, you're taking it with you to work. And whatever joy, happiness, and release that you have in that marriage and in that home life, you also take to work. Mm. I often tell people that I'm coaching and counseling, if you really understood the impact that your words and your actions and your behavior has on your spouse and their ability to go out into the world and be successful, you would speak very, very differently and you would be very different because you would always know that you want to assure that they can go forward with a free heart and with confidence and with the ability to lead and be who they are in that job in the most powerful way. And that's also true for parenting. Mm-hmm. The same impact that you have on that you as a marriage partner have on your spouse in the workplace, you also have that same impact on them with their children and with their parenting. You can build a parent or you can tear down a parent mm. with simple actions and simple words. And so that's why the concepts in the book are so simply written for people to understand that these secrets actually apply to every relationship in your life. John, as you wrote this and and you began the book with a parable, which is so good, as you wrote this and you thought about men, you thought about guys who've sat in your business seminars through the years I think every guy is drawn to a scorecard. We we love scorecards. We love keeping up with uh, uh, a scorebook for baseball and checking things off. As you wrote this and you and Anna began to work through this, what would you tell a guy about bringing a scorecard into marriage? What would you tell them about? <laughs> is this a good idea or a bad idea? What, what would you tell them? Gosh, now I'm going to have to think about that. Good, <laughs> bad, hmm, good plan, bad plan. Um, you know, just for, for folks watching who haven't seen the book yet, I, I, the book is in two parts. The first half is, is, is a parable, and I love parables. I love writing parables. It's, it's, it's just my favorite thing to write. And so I wrote the first half, which is a parable, which illustrates the five secrets of the book. And then Anna wrote the second half, which is really a, a how-to. It's not a story. It's not a parable. It's a... Let me explain what you just read and how it works in your life. She breaks it down for you. So we, we kind of each came at it uh, from, from our own expertise and our own perspective. Um, the scorecard. You know, in a way, that question goes right to the heart of, of the whole message of the book. I mean, one of the things we say in the book, we, we have a single diagram in the book, <laughs> which is 
that shows uh, two circles interlocking, you know, like two circles out of the Olympic uh, logo. And what they what they represent is this is me and this is you. We're two distinct individual people, each with their own hopes and dreams, our own preferences and likes and dislikes. We want to maintain autonomy. We want we don't want to give up our selfness. We are us. And yet in marriage, we overlap. Mm-hmm. And in that intersection right there is a th- sort of a third entity we create. It's almost like a third life, almost like having a child. We have this, this third being, which is our marriage. We picture it as a tree in the book, hence the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the question we present ourselves in, in every given moment is, am I acting right now as me versus you? Or as us, am I coming from a mindset of us, or am I am I coming from a mindset of me versus you? Or to put it a different way, at all moments you're either feeding the us or starving the us. At all moments, when you're in the same room, when you're in the same house, when you're in the same place, and you're interacting, you're either adding to the us or you're detracting from the us. That's the scorecard. The scorecard is when you say, well. I did the dishes four times this week. This is like more than three and a half. That's not fair. Uh, she should do the dishes four times next week. Or, <laughs> hey, you spent $150 in shopping. I should be able to spend $150 in golf clubs. My golf club only cost $130. So I have a $20 credit in my scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> or I did something nice for you yesterday. Why are you doing something nice for me today? This is incredibly treacherous. This, so it it, looks like an innocent thing. The moment you start keeping score is the moment you start pulling it at Mm. the fabric of your marriage and unraveling it. You're you're starving the us. Because the the great truth about marriage, we say this in the book, is that marriage is not fair. Mm, That's good. And and folks, if you're looking for, for something to be fair, you're looking in the wrong place. <laughs> in, your, in your checkbook, everything should balance out. But in your marriage, you're always giving without keeping track. Because that's and, and you're both doing that. So you both give, 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 give. We call it, you know, living from a spirit of generosity. And also that the the 50-50 scorecard or the 50-50 marriage is an illusion. That's right. There's no such thing as a 50-50. That is um, that is a made-up concept that doesn't apply to relationships at all. When your baby is a baby, you don't say, hey, you know, I changed your diaper four times yesterday, so it's your turn today. You're going to change that diaper for the next three years. Mm. And even then, that child's going to keep having accidents because they're just busy playing and exploring the world. And if you're going to get upset about that, then you're really not cut out for being a parent because it isn't a 50-50. You know, I was thinking about this, too, as I read the book and I was listening to you guys on some other podcasts. These things don't just happen. You don't just end up with an us because you said I do at an altar. So I've done hundreds of weddings over my 30 years in ministry. Um, You don't just end up there. It takes work to get there. It takes work to stay there. Why would you tell a couple who's going, I don't know if it's worth the work. I don't know if it's worth hanging in there for that. Why would you tell them not only is it worth it, but there's some serious fun energy in the us 
when you get there? What what would you tell somebody sitting across from you? Ooh, ooh, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. There's so many things I would tell them. Number one yeah. is grow up and understand that, you know, I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, step into being an adult because yep. this isn't, this isn't about being a child who just gets your needs met 24 seven because you want candy now. Um, and, and second, I think that it's, it's really important. Once you start to identify your scorecard, where are the places that you're keeping score that you start to modify that to understand that, you know, it's not about your needs. It's about the needs of the us. It's about the needs of the other person, that radical generosity, which is what we really base all five secrets on is that if you're going to be radically generous in your marriage, you're going to discover that the other person will sort of unwrap. They'll, they'll be so almost surprised. It's, you know, I love, I love the, the title surprised by joy. Yep. Because when you become surprised by joy, you know, you realize that this other person has your back, your affection for them starts to blossom in a whole different way. And when it's authentic and continual, you start to feel taken care of and nourished and loved in the way that we've all wanted from the moment we were born. And when you have that with somebody, you start to cherish them. And when people feel cherished and when you are actually behaving in ways that show that you cherish somebody, they know that you've got their back too. And that's when the joy really comes to life. And everything, your intimate relationship, everything about your relationship starts to become richer and more beautiful. Mm. I, I would add two things that I would say this question of, you know, why should I do this work? Is it just so hard, right? I would say two things to that. One is the work actually isn't that hard. It's it's shockingly easy. It's surprisingly easy. What's hard or what can be very difficult is untangling our own issues. Not to work on the marriage, on the other, on the, our, it's work on us. Yep. Uh, it is recognizing, acknowledging, and letting go of the impulses, the 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 patterns that we've gotten uh, ingrained in ourselves, the selfishnesses, the the oh well, what about me? That can be very confronting and very difficult. But the actual work of building a marriage, whether it's from the beginning or after years, and there have been difficulties along the way. The actual work of building the marriage is what we call the five secrets in the book. Yep. They're surprisingly simple actions you can do every day. They're not huge. They're not like, oh, we're going to go to a retreat for like three months and stop our, our entire lives and completely, you know, spend hours a day rewriting our mission for life. No, 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 no. Things you can do five minutes a day, 10 minutes. It's simple, mm -hmm. simple daily actions. You know, the biggest changes are created by the simplest actions repeated day after day after day after day. The work isn't actually that hard. But here's the other thing I'd say. When someone is, is in a position of, my marriage is in trouble, and you know, why would I, why would I want to put in the work, the excruciating work to, to save it, to change it, to put it back on track? We, we tend to come at that situation from a perspective of, to make this marriage work, I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to have to find ways that I can get along with other other person that are going to limit me. They're going to make my life somehow more confined or less. Like I can't be the slob that I am because they're here too. I have to keep the kitchen neat because they exist with me, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I have to compromise. 
as long as you're looking at marriage as a compromise, of course, it feels like drudgery and work because it's like, you know, who wants to who wants to make their life less? What we say in the book is the purpose of marriage is in giving yourself to another person. You find an avenue for becoming the best you you can be. This other person is actually the, the sort of God's secret weapon yeah. for bringing out of you your best that you would never bring out on your own. And I'll just give you a quick example. I've become a novelist. I'm having a blast. I feel like this is what God put me here to do, is to write novels. I would never have done that uh, if Anna hadn't encouraged me to write novels. She used to say, hey, you'd be great at writing a novel. I, I bring a novel I just read and say, I just read this incredible book. And she'd say, yeah, yeah, that's really good. You could do that. I know mm. you could do that. Mm. And I would go, yeah, 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 I don't think so. And I did not believe it. I absolutely did not believe it. She saw something in me that I didn't see in me. And now it's become real. And I'm so thrilled. And if it weren't for her, I would have missed that. My life wouldn't have gotten to that juncture. So, yeah, that's what marriage holds up. It's not just companionship and joy and security and fun and all those things that we, we can get from marriage. It's also the prospect of becoming your greatest self. That's so good. You know, you know, you you guys bring the illustration of bringing suitcases into marriage and every couple that I've met with over 30 years now of doing weddings, you know, I talk about you both have a suitcase, but we've got to leave with one suitcase. And and we use a phrase in there. And the phrase is, if you'll work at your marriage as you go, you don't have to work on it later. But if you don't work at it, you will end up working on it. What I love the, about these five secrets, they're simple, easy things to continually work at your marriage. They aren't rocket science. They aren't, oh my gosh, I can't afford to do that. I have to spend thousands of, no, these are simple everyday things, but done over a long period of time, they can, they can be amazing. And I love what you said, John, that, that, when God brings that person in your life, they make you better. They make you, both of my kids got married in the past two years. And uh, my wife and I, we left at dinner. And so they don't listen. My daughter might listen to the podcast. My son doesn't. But um, we both left the dinner when our kids are better people. They're better people. after the, And I love them. They're great kids. But yeah. the people they met brought out the best parts yes. of them. Five secrets. I want to grab a couple of these. And this sounds so crazy. The secret of appreciation. Now, that sounds like that's something that just should happen, but it doesn't, does it, Anna? <laughs> the people that come in and Zoom in with you or they do group sessions with you or they're sitting on a, a chair in your office. Why is appreciation not more normal than it should be? What would you say? The reason is, is because so many of us grew up under criticism. Mm. We grew up with parents who, when we didn't measure up, they made sure to tell us. And that happened frequently for most of us. And I say this because as much as we love to impact marriages, we really love to impact parents. Mm. And we are currently working on a book on parenting in the same vein. And it is because when you grow up under criticism, you become a criticizer. You become the person who looks at the glass as half empty and is unhappy that this other person isn't filling it up. Mm. And so it starts with your scorecard of 
I can't believe you left your socks on the floor again. Do you have to leave them on the floor every day? Now, it's a little wine, if you will. But those little wines are parts of everyday marriage all across this land and around the world. And both sides of the fence are guilty of it. Did you have to buy another pair of shoes? Do you think our checkbook's not stretched far enough? You know, boom, little digs. And they are meant to rein somebody in or they're meant to sort of be a correction or to give them perspective perhaps. But really what they are is flat out criticism. Mm. And when you criticize, which is the opposite of appreciate, you, there's no room for appreciation. You're not appreciating in that moment. And I dare say you cannot approach appreciating that person in the next 10 minutes because they're going to say, oh, now you're going to say something nice to me? <laughs> you know, after you just told me I wrecked the checkbook again? Um, so, you know, it's like everything's a conversation, but it, when it comes to appreciation, it's the most profound need that we have even as a baby. As a tiny baby, having somebody staring down into your face, telling you that you're the most beautiful baby on earth and tickling your sides and just being, being delighting and watching you coo and be happy. That is what we all desire. We mm. all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be understood. And most of all, we want to be appreciated and loved from that place. How does somebody overcome that? How does, how does somebody who's been in a negative pattern they grew up that way. They grew up with the mom with their hand on a hip when you walked in the door and buddy, they were drilling you as soon as you walked in. How do they make positive steps to replace that critical spirit with an appreciative spirit? They set an alarm on their phone for five times a day. And when the alarm goes off, they send her a text message. They send her a note on the kitchen counter. They stop her in the kitchen and say, you know, I never tell you, but you know, you always look so beautiful. And, you know, it's like, I think of it as effortless for you. Like even without makeup on, you know, in your sweatpants, you look amazing, but I never tell you. So I just want to take this moment to let you know, I think you're beautiful. Mm. And it's like, it's a little thing, but you know what? Low self-esteem and body image issues and all of that, those are massive for women. Every single billboard in America is telling us that we're too fat, we're not slim enough, we don't have the right jewelry, we're not wearing the right makeup. And by the way, how come you haven't gotten hair extensions yet? Mm, mm. You know, because everything is telling women that they're not okay. Every message. And the same is true for men. You know, I love seeing men get into men's groups that are about stepping up and taking power and building each other, building each other up to take power and be powerful because every man needs and wants to be powerful. He wants to have impact. And every woman in the world doesn't just want to be beautiful. She wants to be a wonderful partner. She wants to be a fabulous mother. She wants to have a career that's on fire. Whatever it is that she's impassioned about, it's her mission. She wants to carry it forward. She wants the God-given heart that she has to get expressed in the world. And so it's like with all of those needs on both sides of the fence, who doesn't need a cheering squad? 
I, I just want to add to that too, that, you know, I think something else that happens along the same lines is we, we forget, or, or maybe there's, there's like a core misunderstanding we have. We think, well, I'm an adult, right? We're, we're grownups. We're living our own lives and capable. So we tend to think, well, you know, I told my wife, she knows mm-hmm. that I think she's gorgeous. She knows, I think she's sweet. She knows that she's, she's brilliant. I, you know, he knows they know what we think about them. Yeah, they might know that, but it doesn't mean they, know, they don't need to hear it again. They do. They need to hear it every day. They need to hear it multiple times a day. And the reason is that inside each one of us, there's still that little, little the germ of that baby. There's still the little human being that needs to be constantly fed and nourished and told, we're, we're great. We're wonderful. We're a child of God. We're, we're, we're a little picture of, of, of perfection in our, in, our, in our hearts. When you do that, when you set on those five alarms a day, when you start just creating the habit of telling your spouse what you think he or she, why they're so magnificent, what you're doing is you're naming their best self. Mm. You're pouring into them your picture of their best self, of what's so wonderful about them, why you love them, why you're drawn to them, why you're so grateful that you're with them. You're pouring that into them. They need it. I don't, I don't care how secure and how confident we look on the surface, how professional and accomplished, you know, inside, we all need to have that fed and reinforced. It's like physical nourishment. You know, I'm full right now because I had a good breakfast, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be hungry at dinner. I need to eat every day. Our souls are like that. They need to be fed every day. It's so funny because men and women get it at work. Like every company, is driven by taking care of customers and they get it. They take care of the, the, if they're in sales, whoever they're selling to, they learn what they like. They learn the games they like. Why do you think we don't think that applies at home? Is it that we don't care? Is it people don't care or do they just assume home will just take care of itself? What are y'all's perspectives on that? I'm just going to say quickly, the latter. I think you mm-hmm. nailed that. I think you know, we think it'll take care of themselves. What what Anna and I say in the book is love is, is not some revelation. Love is not some one-time event that happens out of a cloudburst. Love is a practice. That's it's a right. thing you do every day. It's like fitness. It's a practice that you that you just practice every day. And we forget that. We don't we we assume. Yeah, they know. They're there. I yep. she knows how much I love them. I don't need yep. to tell her. And in the in the fifth secret, which is the secret that we call grow, yep. and grow is about personal growth. Personal growth is about overcoming the things that have really halted you. When people get home in their primary relationship, away from work, they want to literally fall back on the couch, either look at their phone or look at a television show, or somehow uncouple and un you know let go, mm-hmm. and. In that place, we all fall into being the teenage son or the teenage daughter, or, you know, we fall into that place of wanting the environment around us to take care of itself and, and of us <laughs> and not have to give anything back. That's because right. it's like I gave at the office, damn it. What do I have to give yep. here for? We're, we're uh, supper. But at the same, exactly. We're <laughs> supper. I'm sorry. We're I'm supper. sorry. Just looking in a bucket, Cal. Yep. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like um, we're all wanting to fall into that place where we get caught in our childhood patterns. Mm. So 
An example I'll give you is if you were a neglected child, you will often attract a partner who will neglect you because it will replicate the very thing that you lived with all of your childhood and you're comfortable with. It didn't doesn't mean it felt good when you were a child and it doesn't feel good now. Mm. But you can sit around and blame all day long or you can step into some leadership in your marriage and decide that you're going to behave differently. You're not going to just stay in this place where you're neglected. You're going to start to have more friendships, have more fellowship at church, do things specifically to be kind to your to your partner, husband or wife, um, in ways that are unexpected, mm. to be generous in ways that are unexpected. Because when you're generous in ways that are unexpected, you can only do that, like if you're really generous for 20 times in a row and nothing's coming back from the other side, you'll find that the 21st or 22nd time, all of a sudden your partner, husband or wife will say, thank you for doing that. I mm -hmm. wasn't expecting you to bring me a cup of tea in bed, but thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, you know, and it's a different way of deciding to be in the marriage. I often ask women and men, who do you want to be in the marriage? And the answers are often seemingly different according to men or women, but very similar. Mm. They want to be powerful. They want to be believed in, and they want to be not just lovable, but loved. Mm. That's who they want to be in the marriage. And so if you want to be loved, then be lovable. If you want to be powerful, then give endlessly because it will be noticed. You are not a doormat. You know, I was, I've really not thought about this lately. When you were talking about coming home, we want to just take our foot off the pedal and go, oh, I'm home. I don't, my work is done, right? My work is done. And I heard a guy say years ago, and I don't remember where I heard it, if it's wrong. Thankfully, it's somebody else's idea. It's not mine, but I'm going to throw it out there. <laughs> they said it was so interesting that in the Hebrew day, it began in the evenings, where our day begins in the mornings. But in a Hebrew's mind, a Jew, a Jew back in the day of Jesus' time, their day began at night. That was, and I wonder so much if we've mixed it up, where we're giving our leftovers in the wrong place to our children and our spouse, you know, my wife and I are probably where you are, where our kids are grown. It's just the two of us now. Yeah. It's very different than it was all the years with kids, two kids running around and needing us to drive them places. But the marriage piece is even more important than it's ever been because it's just the two of us. We don't have kids stuff to talk about all the time. Thankfully, we don't have another wedding to pay for. That's what we're very thankful for that. <laughs> um, but that grow part is a personal choice. How important is it that I'm my best for this person? I want to ask you a question. Is it ever too late for somebody to start? Let's say somebody sitting where my wife and I are. We're, we're year 31, 32 of marriage. Kids are grown. And they look at their marriage and go, it's okay. I mean, we're okay. We're not great. Is it ever too late to get started on these secrets in their marriage? These are such great questions. I'm just <laughs> reveling in these questions. 
It is not only never too late, and I can't wait to hear what John has to say about this, but we have taken a lot of marriages that are 25 to 30 years old where everything from their intimate life to their talking to each other has really gone to the back burner and felt very stale. And they were both going to church still, and they both were still committed to being married, but the companionship, the love, the sparkle in their eyes, it was all pretty dull. And what we've really helped them to do is to wake up to recognizing that you can re- you can get back to the same flirtatious and delicious place you were in when you were courting, especially once your kids are out of the house. Hello. You know, you got time on your hands. You can court each other. You can do all kinds of fun things. You do need to accommodate a little bit in terms of, you know, if one of you really likes to golf and the other one really doesn't, you know, there may, there's going to have to be some moments where you decide you're going to do some things together that are, that are mutually fun and, or you're going to go do something with your partner that is really their desire. Um, so that you start to sort of open up the channel to talking again, to holding hands to getting intimate again. And it's really interesting, but we've seen lots of marriages and we have done whole podcasts on what happens when sex really starts to go away in a marriage and how can you bring it back? Mm. And it's that, you know, there's just so many different ways that you can give to a marriage. And the issue isn't, you know, does he or she do it the right way? Or, you know, is this, you know, what's wrong with the sex. It's the decision of whether or not it's simply going to be a gift that Mm. you're going to give. And you're going to give it as a gift, as an opening for a larger and deeper intimacy and communication to start to unfold. I want to add, because Anna said she couldn't wait to hear what I had to say about this. So I'll say something. Um, Is it ever too late? Not only is it never too late, but in some ways, the opportunity grows mm, to start mm. really addressing this because as the years go by, hey, each of us has more experience. We have, we may not have grown wiser, but we have the opportunity to grow wiser That's right. because we have more life experience under our belt. Life has has worked on us for that much longer, so we are by definition deeper. I, I think that, you know, and, and some of the of the bluster of youth has left us, and so we we by temperament tend to be a little more reflective, tend to be a little more introspective. I think the capacity to start looking at these things actually grows with age. The thing I want to add, it's kind of a caveat in a way, but it's just a, it's an important point is, you know, we say in the book, when you, when you go to work on a marriage, you don't work on the marriage, you work on yourself. That's right. And you really do. What all these, these, these five secrets are about is there are things that I can do, ways that I can look at my behavior, ways that I can practice new habits myself every day to to nourish the marriage. The thing you can't do, I'm sorry to say it because so many of us want to do this, but you just can't do it, is work on the other person. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want to, you, you try. So bad. You, you so bad. You go, you go into the marriage counselor's room and you say, here's what my wife needs to do. Here's That's what my right. husband needs. Or you just sit in the living room and you're thinking to yourself, if only she would. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work. You can't work on the other person. And I have a dear friend that I've been friends with for 40 years. And a lot of time when we would talk, she would complain about how cranky her husband was and how difficult he had become in his later years. 
And it was an interesting conversation because the more and more I would dig and ask questions, it became clear that she really was the criticizer in chief. And he was backing up and feeling cranky. Yep. And so the minute she acknowledged, <laughs> yeah, well, the minute she acknowledged <laughs> that she kind of picked, 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 picked a lot at him, then she started saying, okay, I'm going to make decisions. And it took setting an alarm on her phone because she would be like, well, I forgot. I don't know. I just forgot yesterday, you know, and she'd be cranky about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, you can't forget if you're going to make appreciation versus criticism, your mode of operation, then you have to decide to appreciate multiple times a day. What is it going to take for you to decide to do that? Do you want to just lock your arms, fold your arms and decide he's the problem? Or are you going to take some responsibility? Are you going to take some leadership? Mm. And when she decided to do that, she called me back in a hurry one day on a, a week later. And she was like, no, you don't understand. He went out of his way and went to Starbucks and got my favorite coffee. And I was like, hmm. she goes, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> And it's such a sweet moment, you know, it's like, yeah, he went out of his way because he's feeling really generous because mm -hmm. she's being so nice to him and sweet and she's being warm. And when she was being warm, he was being really reciprocal. That's so good. I, I remember when my wife and I early in our marriage read five love languages for the first time uh, back in the day, right after it came out. And I remember how revolutionary it was for our marriage that even though we were, and I, and I believe we would have had a good marriage because we get along well, but I think it helped us grow a great marriage because we learned to bend. We learned, we learned what each other needed, not just what we needed. And I'm a words person. She, she doesn't need to use words. I'm, I love words. And I remember I started getting, you know, now I get text on my phone, you know, little text during the day, but I did notice a pattern I've called her out on. I get the same ones. I said, are you cutting and pasting from somewhere? Well, she won't own it. I can't find it. But I do think there's like a, a common theme of notes she's sending me. But hey, listen, we're, we're, we're going to make it. I think we're good now. I, so you and, guys. And, and attending, I, the second secret to attend yes. is, re is really a, 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 a different service. version of acts of service. Yes. I mean, exactly when you're attending right. to your partner, you've made a decision to give them what they love. That's so good. So, you know, I love a cup of tea in the morning in bed. This guy brings me one every day mm, mm. without fail. That's so good. You know, yeah. and, and it's that whole part. I don't want anybody else to do it. So why don't I do it? Right. I mean, so it's that whole competitive nature in a guy. I don't want anybody else bringing her a cup of tea in bed. I'll bring it, you know, if that's the, if that's what gets you going. So what I love about this, and we were talking before we went on, you guys don't just write, write a book and put it out Anna. you help couples. And then you guys do zoom workshops with companies, with churches, explain a little bit how this could flesh out to some of our listeners. I and mean, we've got guys from, that there are executives down at Coca-Cola to big healthcare systems to educational, but they all are dealing with people in marriage. What are ways that yeah. you guys are set up to be able to help them? Well, first we have our, my private practice, which, and we also work together. We do, we do zoom events together where we come in together to coach or counsel churches we've worked with law firms where people are actually getting divorced coaching about 
because you're going to take whatever problems were in that marriage you're divorcing yourself from, and you're going to bring them right into the next marriage. So we really try to help people to understand you're not going to walk away from these problems. You're going to encounter them again. We want to help you to understand the ways that you can shift it so that you don't encounter them again. We also, um, you know, do I do women's groups as well as men's groups because the reason that I call myself a coach versus a therapist, even though I am a clinically trained therapist, licensed therapist, um, is that I really believe that the grow portion, the fifth secret, is the most important sure. part. Because if you don't grow yourself, get aware of what your patterns are and get a get an understanding of what drives you, what do you want to get to, who do you want to be in life, um, then you can't, you, you have nothing, you're on empty when you go home mm. to your marriage. And so I help a lot of executives. Um, t- and interestingly enough, they are people who are very type A, they, they get it all done at work. And then they go home and they're like, I just don't want to put up with anything. That's right. You know, they're almost, um, you know, one, one guy described himself as the meanest boss on earth with his wife. He was like, you know, she can do nothing right when I get home because I'm in such a cranky mood from work that I just now I I just don't even want to be I don't want anyone to bother me. Wow. And I was like, wow. So she's in a no win, huh? And he goes, yeah. And, you know, that was the moment of him shifting it, though, was when he realized he had put her in a no win situation. There was nothing she could do right. That's so good. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I remember talking to an executive years ago. And in, in every executive that I work with, from sunup till sundown, their day is planned. Fe- male or female, doesn't matter. This Thursday, I'll be with 12 female executives in a spiritual leadership group that I lead with them that are all high-octane, driven, ADs, radio personalities, leaders in business. Every person is scheduled six to six. But the funny part is most people have no schedule when they get home. They have no plan. And what I love about your book, That's fascinating. it gives you five secrets of people who have a plan when they go home and they have a plan to keep yeah. that up throughout the day. John, what would you say to, to a man right now who goes, I want to do this, but I don't know where to start. My wife didn't even know this podcast exists. I know Mike because I met him somewhere. A friend sent this to me. I want to start, but I don't know where to start. What would you tell him? Well, I mean, first off, read the book. (laughs) It's a short book. It's an easy read. (laughs) I promise. Read it on a lunch break or two. Um, but but start with the secrets. Start with the secrets. And you know, we we there there are five of them. We we wrote them in the order we wrote them in for a reason. Frequently, most of the time, the first secret is the one that, that people can grab onto easiest. It's kind of the lowest hanging fruit. And it is the secret of three times a day. Find something about your spouse that you love and tell them so. Make the time to tell them. It can be in one minute. It can be or, or something you're grateful for about them. Thank them for it verbally, out loud, to their face, you know, not so, so um, you can't just think it. it has to be to them three times a day at minimum every day. Now, you can put that, as Anna says, uh, on you know reminders in your phone. You can put it in your day planner, however it works for you. But there are five secrets. And what I would encourage you to do is to 
read the whole thing, get a sense of the five. And yeah, it's one is a good place to start, but see what speaks to you. That's right. See what tweaks you, what, what sparks your heart and says, Ooh, I could see myself. I see myself in that. And then just go to that. You don't need to do all five all at once to make everything. It just the littlest, you know what this is like? This is like a tugboat changing the direction of an ocean liner. Um, these little actions are tugboats that will change the ocean liner of the direction of your marriage. And it's shocking sometimes how the simplest little shifts in direction will change the whole tone of your marriage. So the first thing I'd say after read the book is don't be overwhelmed at the prospect. Mm -hmm. This seems like a huge undertaking, a radical shift in your life. It's not. It's not. It's very simple little levers you can press. And start to turn the whole thing. You guys have written an amazing book, and we're going to have links. We're going to have contact information all on our show notes. If somebody knows you, they know you from church. They know you from your community that you live in. They're friends. We were talking about Dondi earlier. She's just a friend. And I were to run into them, and I were to say, hey, I read John and Anna's book. The Go-Giver Marriage. It was amazing. I heard him on a podcast. And she were to describe the two of you in your marriage, Dondi, any other friend, what would you want them to tell me about the two of you and what your marriage is like? You first, my love? No, go ahead, John. I'm dying to hear what you think Dondi would say. Well, I, I know I'll, what Dondi would say. Actually, I'll tell you what they do say. And it was yeah. part of what, what spurred us to write this book, what, they, what they've been saying for over a decade. What, what people say about us is they are so insanely happy together. Why are they so ridiculously happy together? What is their secret sauce? Um, that's what I, it isn't even just what I want them to say. It's what they do say. It's just how we have... As I said, we've been through tragedies and difficulties and stresses in times that weren't easy, just like every other marriage. You know, we don't live a life of rainbows and unicorns. But through it all, we just seem to get more in love mm. and, and happier with each other. We just have a blast with each other. Yeah, I think that, um, I, I guess I'll name Dondi, but really any of our colleagues or friends, what they know about us is that there's tremendous affection between us like you know mm. i mean tremendous affection and so they they just really wonder you know because we've been together a long time and they'll say you know what is your secret why are you so happy what what are you doing and i think it's just there's profound mutual respect going both directions but we both really attend to each other Words of, of affirmation and appreciation mm. are very powerful in our lives. And, I mean, we thank each other. I will often ask women and men, when was the last time you thanked your spouse? And they'll be like, mm, you know, trying to think of it. I bet you that John and I thank each other at least half a dozen times a day. Mm. Because I don't care if he's made me a cup of tea in bed or if he just did a couple dinner dishes, uh, lunch dishes. I will always say thank you. So I feel like that, um, you know, there's, there's a gratitude factor that I think people would acknowledge that we have between us. You know, it's writer, so fun. The, yeah, the go writer, ahead, John. 
the writer James Patterson has said about his wife, if Sue ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> I think that's how I think that's how we are with each other. I want to be wherever she is. You know, it's so funny. Until you have it, you don't know what you're missing. Until you have it, you don't know what you're missing. I, I mean, my favorite time every day is seeing Ann. That's my favorite time. That's I remember our, our kids when they were growing up. Somebody was like, What what do you want your kids to say when they about you when they grow up? I said, I want them to say, I want a marriage like mom and dad had. Now I don't know how to tell you. Any more than that, I just want them to want that. If you had one desire for people who pick up this book, what would it be? What would be your one takeaway for somebody? If they read this book, your prayer for them would be what? Understand that the, the way your marriage changes is that you change. And that... You can't fold your arms and hope that your spouse will change. When you change and change toward them, magic will happen. For me, I would, I would want it to be the book for them to be a beacon of hope. I would want them to believe that their relationship, that their marriage, their life with this other person can be incredibly rich and satisfying for them. To believe that can be true for them, that, that's available to them. So I think any time we meet people like John and Anna and we hear about those secrets, we go, wow, that's not that complicated. And really, that's the truth. It's not that complicated. It really is focusing in on the things we know that it takes to be our best. And they're usually basics and they're usually simple. But when you do them over and over and over, you reap the benefits. Thank you so much, John and Anna, for sharing your story with us. And I know help making my marriage better, and I hope making your marriage better. When our next episode of Lynch with a Leader, we sit down with Coach B.J. Thompson. B.J. has overcome so much in his life. And his newest book, Awaken a Better You, is so rich with great content. And I think it'll give you a chance like it did for me to pull out a mirror and look in and see how we can live out the very best life that God's created for us. Once again, thanks for joining us today. I pray you go live out your leadership, your spiritual leadership in the space and place that God's put you and that you'll love God, you'll love people, and that you will live set. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 